0: Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to Pirates Talk. Well, the calendar page has turned to 2021, and we certainly hope that things will be better this year. I hope you are all doing well and had a wonderful holiday season. The show is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And if you do drop a note, I will mention your name on an upcoming show. The Hall opened the new year with a win over Butler at the Rock, and now head out on the road for a pair of games, including Wednesday's matchup against 7th-ranked Creighton, followed by a game against DePaul on Saturday. The Pirates then have a week off before they return home to play Xavier on January 16th. That game will be played at Walsh Gymnasium. Oh man, it'll be good to see the old barn get some love. My guest today covers college basketball and college football for the New York Post, where he has worked for the past 10 years. And I'm looking forward to hearing what Zach Braziller has to say about the Hall, the Big East, and the National College basketball picture as I welcome him to Pirates Talk. Zach, thank you very much at a busy time, wild time, crazy time, for giving me a few minutes of your time. I know you're busy, but I do appreciate it. How are things with you?
1: Hey, Matt, yeah, doing okay. Uh, you know, a busy time of year with college football, you know, playoff and and obviously college basketball in full swing, uh, but definitely better beats the alternative and uh, a lot of interesting, definitely a lot of interesting local college basketball going on.
0: Well, there is. And I want to talk about that. I want to take a little bigger view at the Big East and an even bigger view across the landscape of college basketball as we proceed. And before I, I get more specific with Seton Hall, let's just talk a little bit about the latest news that came out that, uh, the national championship, all the games in college basketball are going to be hosted by Indiana in that state. What do you make of that decision?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it makes makes all the sense in the world. You know, they're going to put players and these teams in. You know, they're not going to call it a bubble, but we all know it's going to be kind of a pseudo bubble. You know, it, it's you know, to me, there really was no other option if you really want to play an play an NCAA tournament. Uh, you saw how well it worked for the NBA the NHL last year, um, or they're, or they're, you know, they're, they're just finished seasons. It, you know, it, 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 it makes sense. You know, it's the, I think the whole idea of the season was just to get through the season and get to an NCAA tournament. It's obviously not going to be a normal season and it's not going to be a normal NCAA tournament, but you know, it's, it's something I think had to happen. I'll be interested to know, you know, are they going to do fans at all? Um, I haven't really heard anything about that. I, I would think maybe they do limited uh, fans, but we'll obviously have to see what happens in you know two, two months from now, I guess.
0: Yeah, each jurisdiction has its own rules, and, and we'll see. It does change things, though, even if there's a small amount of fans in the stands. It does change the atmosphere. What's your take on games without fans, as you've covered – you know the Big East, uh, St. John's, and and Seton Hall, and and you've seen games played in empty gyms.
1: Yeah, it's weird. There's no doubt. It's definitely weird. You know, I I did some baseball in the summer without fans, and that was depressing. College grass without fans in the same way. You know, I've done some. I've gone live. I've li- I've covered from home. I, I enjoyed the the TV product so much better. <clears throat> so much better. Um, it, to me, you can kind of forget about the lack of fans to a certain extent when you're lost. You're up to, when you're there, it's just, you know, it's bizarre. I, I covered the first St. John's here in the year. And they won basically a three-pointer with two seconds left. and You know, the guys were shot, and it's just, you know, the players were excited, but it's like, without any reaction from the crowd, it is it is just so, so different. You know, it's clearly not the same. I, I don't think there's any, any doubt about it.
0: Has it made your job more difficult because the access to players and coaches now is over zoom. I mean, you can make a phone call and a text and I'm sure you have plenty of contacts, but how has it changed how you do your job?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's different. Um, There's no doubt. You know, the, the one thing with college basketball is a lot of, you know, these teams don't really open their locker rooms until, until March anyway. So, you know the, the access was is kind of limited to begin with for college basketball uh certain teams do do certain things differently obviously seen all kind of would bring their players to the press conference room um but yeah it's it's not as good I don't think there's there's any question it's not the same uh, but you know you, you make do with it like I've kind of said you know when people are complaining oh it's not the same it's not you know it isn't but it's it'd be alternative. You know, I mean, um, the way I've looked at this season, is just you know, I've told people just you know, just be happy with you get, you know, just just enjoy the the fact that there is somewhat of a season. We're gonna always remember this for just how how different it is and how unique it is. And hopefully next year we go back to you know what we're used to. And but you know, I'm just I'm happy just to have a season, even if it is you know, however disjointed it is.
0: You mentioned Seton Hall there. What's your view on what Kevin Willard's been able to do this year? Of course, they lost so many seniors playing critical roles, particularly Miles Powell. Uh, The record looks good. What's your take? Uh, Yeah, I've I've been very impressed, especially when you consider the start.
1: And look, they they were not a good team early. And I, I thought they would get off to a slow start. You know, when when you factor in the pause, you factor in Bryce Bryce you know Bryce Aikens' injury, and the factor in that you know a lot of these guys had different roles. I mean, they they went from being you know role players or secondary options to being to being focal points. And so I thought they would start slow anyway. And the schedule you know Kevin you know put together was very challenging. And I think if he had to do it again, he regretted going out to Omaha to play Oregon that early, but. That early schedule has clearly helped them, and now look—they're five and one in the league. They're playing terrific basketball. You know, maybe not quite as consistent full forty minutes as you know as they would like. Uh, they, you know, the win over Butler the other day was you know kind of not a great second half. But hey, look, eight and four, five and one in the league—they're all alone in second place. They're going to be a tournament team again. You know, it's, if you're a Seat Hall fan, you, you just got to be thrilled. I, I don't think Kevin O'Leary gets enough credit for how good of a job he's done. I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to do what he's done at Sea Hall. It is incredibly hard to recruit to Seat Hall. The, the fan base, it's not a huge fan base. You know, they kind of struggle with attendance. Obviously, this year there's are no fans, but talking about on a yearly basis. And he's going to end up making the tournament, you know. I guess we can't count last year, but if we were counting last year, we don't be there making it. It's going to be six years in a row. I mean, I don't think, I don't think the Seattle fan base is going to really understand what they have here until he's gone.
0: I, I agree with you. And hopefully that's not for a while. Still uh, Billy Raftery and PJ Carlissimo, who have been guests on this show, both have lauded what Kevin has done and at different times, obviously they've sat in his office and under different circumstances. But Billy in particular said, you need a certain kind of coach who understands Seton Hall to be successful there, who understands what the school is about, blue collar, as you mentioned, not as easy to recruit to as other schools. And if you can embrace that, and Kevin has, you can be successful. It, it is a, I won't say it's a unique spot, but it does require a certain someone to sit in that head coach's uh, seat, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we all know the 2014 recruiting class changed everything, but if you look at it since then, I mean, their recruiting hasn't, you know, it's not like they're getting four- and five-star kids. It's been about developing players, and now you're now after all this winning, you're starting to see it where they have a really good class coming in at, you know, a top 30 group, which is the best, for the best class since 2014. and you know, I mean look at Sandro Mambo College really this guy I think he's gonna be a potential first round pick. He came in as a, you know, unheralded three star kid. You saw me do with Morrow Gill and Quincy McKnight and, you know, um, Jared Roden was someone who people really weren't overly high on coming into college and he's developing into a really good college player. You know, it's what he's done. It's it's really impressive just the development uh, of of kids in this program. His guys get better year to year and a lot of programs really can't say that.
0: Who are the key players or who is the key person? Is it Mamukalashvili because of what he brings in his overall game? Or is there somebody else that you look at as being a driving force that bears watching as the season rolls on? Well, I think it's Akin without a doubt.
1: You know, I, I think, look, we, Sandro's been terrific so far. We kind of, you kind of know what you're going to get. He's going to be, you know, he's going to produce, he's going to share the ball, he's going to do what he does. But if you can get Aiken to kind of play like he did against Xavier, where he's going to hit shots, where he gets to the basket, where he's a threat offensively, to me, it just changes so much about this team. It makes you hall so much harder to guard. It spaces the floor. You know, he's a guy we all know he has a ton of talent. It's about staying healthy and, you know, producing now at the the East level, which, you know, he obviously comes from the Ivy League, is a different level for him. I mean that game against Xavier, they played so well, and a big part of that was him. And look, he's he's a guy who hasn't really played a lot of basketball in the last you know few years. So consistency is still obviously an issue. He he was you know very quiet against Butler, but he's a guy that really has he has a ton of talent. And you know if he's when he when he play, if he could play like he played against Xavier, I think this is actually a top twenty team in the country. As much as I like Shavar Reynolds, and look, he does a lot of really good things. He's a winning player. Aiken has the ability to take this team to another level. And he's the guy I'm watching because I think, you know, we all know what you're getting from some of these other guys, but Aiken, if he could develop some consistency and provide some offensive punch kind of really, to me, changes things for this team.
0: No doubt. I also think that you said, you know what you're getting from some of these players and you do because they, they've they all been fairly consistent. The one X factor to me this year has been miles kale who everyone around Seton Hall has been waiting, like, where is this guy? And he shrunk at times last year, couldn't hit a shot, didn't get off to a great start this year, but it looks like he's found his game. Do you agree? Yeah, look, consistency, consistency is still an issue um, with
1: him at times, you know, he you saw it in the Butler game, he was quiet. But he's uh, he's a big guard, he's a good defender, he, he can hit threes, He's a senior. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he's he's been a big part of this, you know, of this bounce back after the bad start. You know, he, he was terrific against Georgetown. He, he was really good against Xavier. He's, you know, and when you lose Quincy McKnight and you you kind of lose that defensive force in the backcourt, he's a guy along with Reynolds that can really defend and could guard, you know, good good perimeter players. I mean, look, they're playing Creighton on Wednesday and. There's no doubt they're not gonna you know, they need they need Kale to play well at both ends to win that game. You know, they need you know, they need to play a really good game to win that game. Creighton is really good. They're number seventeen in the country. I think they're clearly a final four contender. You know, that's the kind of game Senior Hall wins. They're gonna find themselves in the the top twenty-five next week
0: uh creighton definitely a challenger uh, to villanova for conference supremacy and we don't know what's going to happen with nova they've shut down again and it's an issue that bears watching really right up and through the tournament of course uh is it just a two-horse race in the big east can seton hall sneak in there will providence surprise before it's all said and done you know i
1: think it probably is a two-horse race as much as I do like Seton you know, Hall, they are off to a good start. I, I just I don't know if they're quite as good as those two teams. I think I think I think the 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 kind of the levels you're looking at is I think you have Villanova over Creighton at one level. I think then you have Seaton Hall and UConn at another, and then you have Providence and Xavier and Marquette and maybe St. John if They you know if they prove at that next level, I I don't know if St. John's is St. Hall is quite. Um, at that level of Creighton and Villanova. I think they're good. I think they're a top 40 team, but I think Creighton and Villanova are clearly top 10 teams in the country in Final Four contenders.
0: Big challenge, as you mentioned, for Seton Hall coming up Wednesday uh, on the road against Creighton. We won't know maybe for another year or two, but what what has UConn's impact already been on its return to the Big East on the conference itself? And what do you think the impact will be as we look down the road a little bit?
1: I mean, I I just I, I can't see them not just becoming a, a force. Uh, you know, their recruiting is already off to a great start since joining the league. They they got a ten, top tech class coming in next year. Um, you know, Dan Hurley is just a perfect fit there. It, it you know it it was a no brainer for the league. I think while it might hurt certain local programs here, they had to do it. It just raises the brand for the league and. It's great. I mean, it's clearly great for UConn. I mean, they're ecstatic about being back, but I just think it improves things. You know, if they, you know, it's just you have a big, big name coach at Hurley. You have you have this big state school. They're going to attract top talent, and I, I think they're they're a tournament team this year. I think they're kind of right around what Seton Hall is, maybe a touch worse. I think Seton Hall is probably a little better than UConn this year, uh, gone to my head, but. They are a good team. They will make the tournament. I think they're. I think they're to get better and better. They're going to be a thorn in everyone's side. I just, I don't see how this is not going to work for them.
0: I, I agree. Kevin Willard has made his opinion pretty, pretty public, uh, uh, and he's been honest that he doesn't like the fact that they're in the state institution, big school, all that sort of stuff. Another tough two games on an already difficult schedule, et cetera. We can go into all the reasons fighting for recruits, et cetera. Have the other coaches in the conference just been quieter about it? Do they have the same idea that, wow, our jobs just got a lot more difficult and this is not a good move for me personally, or are more accepting of the fact that you're bringing back a prodigal son, so to speak, and the league is better for it.
1: Um, I third coaches are ambivalent where they don't think it really impacts them and they think it helps the league, it helps them. But I do think when you look at the local, local coaches, whether it's province, whether it's seat Hall, whether it's St. John's, I don't, I don't think they love it. I mean, I'm going to blame them. You know, they now have to go head to head with this state school with huge facilities and a huge budget and everything that. You know that entails, and it's going to make life tougher. You know, I mean, it's directly impacted Sea Hall already in terms of recruiting, and it's going to do the same thing with St. John's, with Providence, with Villanova to an extent. You know, Um, so yeah, I'm sure there's some coaches that aren't thrilled with it, but I also think a lot of the coaches understand that. does too. That it it only it's in a long run. It's only going to help them when you have you know a better league, when you have a better you know, you have better numbers as a whole. It's it's a good thing, and while that might impact recruiting a little bit, you know, if if you have an extra top twenty team in the league, that means you have an extra two opportunities for good wins. That means you might make the tournament when otherwise you'd maybe be the nit. So, I, I think it is a good thing for the league, even if it might you know negatively impact some some teams in the short term.
0: And while it's easier said than done. When it comes to recruiting budgets, if UConn's is much bigger, that gives you more ammunition going to your athletic director and the athletic director going to the school saying, listen, if we want to run with a big dog, we got to come up to their level to the degree that we can at least increase our budget again. Easier said than done, but there's an argument there, too. We can't stand Pat. So I'm curious to see how those schools react to UConn's presence in the conference.
1: Yeah, that's uh, very, very fair. You know, absolutely, I completely agree.
0: So let's talk about St. John's briefly. Uh, what do you make of what Mike Anderson's been able to do? And are you surprised that it's been a little bit of a scuffle here this year?
1: So, I mean, you know, last year I think they they had a good year for what people thought they were going to be. They they finished seventeen and fifteen and looked like they were going to make the NIT, which to me surpassed my expectations for them last year. You know, this year it's it's tough. You know, there's no off season, you know, no off season uh, program really in the summer. He's adding in a freshman point guard, sorry, point guard, two junior college guys. I mean, so there was a lot of moving parts, and yeah, they they struggle a little from the start. But they were, I mean, you know, when I look at it, they've they've lost one game really they shouldn't have lost. They lost to Georgetown, which is a game they they definitely shouldn't have lost. So they're one and three. But I mean, I I didn't expect them to win at C.N. Hall really. Um, I didn't expect them to be created home. So they're one and three in the league, when really they should be two and two. I think they'll win a few games that maybe, you know, they shouldn't win, but yeah, I, I think he's brought exactly what they needed. He's brought stability. He's brought, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a real college coach who, who's really into it, and you know, is dying with every game, which is, you know, really something they haven't had in a long time. You know, maybe you can make the argument since Mike Jarvis, you know? He's their best coach since Mike Jarvis or Fran Freshella. And it's going to take time. You know, I, I look at what Cedar Hall records are doing, where, you know, they've they've won by developing, you know, players. And, you know, they're not winning with four or five-star recruits. And St. John's is going to get four or five-star recruits. They're going to have to get three-star recruits to develop something. You know, that's what they're doing. You look, they got Julian champenny who was a, probably the third-best freshman in the league last year, and he's off to a great, you know, very good start this year. Pasha Alexander, a freshman point guard from Brooklyn, is. Looks like he's going to be a very good player. They have a decent recruit from uh, Long Island Lutheran, Rafael Pinzon, coming in next year. So you know it, it's maybe not happening quite as fast as St. John's fans want to. But you can, to me, you got to look at Rutgers and Saint Hall, which have now become big pro, big time Northeast programs. You know, Steve Peichel, this is his uh, fifth year. Kevin Williams didn't make the tournament, I believe, until his sixth year. It, it has to. It's going to take time, and you know, St. John's fans don't want to hear that because they've been waiting two decades. But what happened before Mike Anderson arrived, you can't fault him for that. And that's one thing I've kind of talked to, you know, tried to talk St. John's fans up the ledge about is, you know, you, you can't punish him for what preceded him. You need to give him time. He's trying to do it the right way. If it's a good athletic, in there, in there in Mike Wright. I do think it's going to happen. It just might not happen as fast as they want it to happen.
0: Will it happen at Georgetown? And I tie them into St. John's because so many of the fans of those respective institutions think back to the glory days, and they were glorious. But they're way far back in the rearview mirror. Can Georgetown figure it out? I know they just got a commit from uh, Muhammad Aminu Muhammad. So that's a feather. Excuse me, that's a feather in Patrick Ewing's cap. Certainly, their best recruit in a long, long time. But can they? Can they get? close to what they once were? I mean, and, you is, know, Ewing and is Ewing the guy there? Is Ewing
1: the guy there? I I think he's a good coach. I mean, I, I watch him. I, I think he's a very good coach. I think Patrick Ewing can really coach. Now the issue is managing egos, managing, you know, the, the hangers on and the mentors, because that clearly hurt them with, with that, you know, last really good class you brought in. When you're talking about, you know, a kid, Joe and LeBlanc and those guys that clearly, you know, McClung that it didn't work. Now he's got a top 10 class coming next year. A real reason for Georgetown fans to hope, you know, the, I've kind of said that maybe this will be for him. What 2014 was for Kevin Willard, that maybe they'll remember this class as being like, you know, kind of the, the start of things for, for Georgetown. I don't know. He's going to have to. Being a good college coach isn't just about coaching or recruiting; it's also about keeping your guys. That's you know so important now, and it's about keeping everyone happy. And that's the thing he's got to you know. That's the size he needs to kind of perfect. Because I think he's a, I think he's coach. I think he's a good coach. Now the key is now developing these guys and keeping them because they have a very good class next year and a real reason for Georgetown fans to be excited. But only if they, you know, always make you
0: keep them. Well, exactly. And it's never been easier to transfer. Certainly the league is better when a Georgetown and a St. John's is good. And, and hopefully they both get back and, and that makes the league even, even more difficult and more impressive. Last couple of things. And we'll let you go looking into your crystal ball. What do you see between now and tournament time? Anything you're keeping your eye on, whether it's on the local stage or the national stage?
1: You know, I think when you consider the season, I think you got to just—the most important thing is you're just playing games. You know, it, with with the virus and the state of things, you know, you just want to get to the tournament. I mean, that—that's really what I'm looking at. Is you know, you know, going always going to end up going a long time without playing. And you know, there are other schools that are that have been in a similar boat. You know, sea Hall obviously had was shut down for you know a few weeks. So, I mean, that's the big thing. You know, I just, you just want to see a tournament. You want to see brackets once see a finish to the season. College football made it work, and you would you would hope that it could happen in college basketball. So you're just kind of you know, every day you're just you're just waking up and you're hoping that you know everything kind of everyone stays afloat and, and you don't see more shutdowns.
0: They don't play in as difficult a conference as say the Big Ten or the Big East. But who, looking at Gonzaga, and you cover college basketball much more closely than I do, but I watch that team. I, I don't know how, I don't know who beats them. How? Uh, listen, it's it's a shootout once you get to the tournament. It, anything can happen. We've seen upsets before. But my goodness, this looks like finally uh, the team that gets Gonzaga that national championship. They've got everything, and they can score at will. Um, yeah,
1: they're terrific. I mean, Suggs is... Subs is a ridiculous talent and they have a million other players. You know, I've heard a lot of people kind of say, Oh, it's diving into the field. And you know, and what I'd say to that is we said that's the same thing about that great Kentucky team in 2015. said sure, the same yeah. thing about Duke and Zion a few years ago. That's the beauty of the tournament. The best team doesn't always win. It's still very much a, a toss up. And as good as they are, and look, they look terrific. The one thing I will say they're basically going to go now a few months without playing anyone. Yeah, they'll play BYU a few times, which won't be easy. BYU is a good team, but besides that, I mean, they're they're basically playing glorified scrimmages, which cannot help you prepare for for what's going to come when you have to play six teams, and you know, five five of them will be good teams to to win it all. I think that's a that's a a huge detriment to to, to a team like that because. I just don't see how you get better by doing that. It's not their fault. It's the league they're in. You can't fault them. I just think it's a I I just think it's a it's a it's an added challenge for them to stay sharp going into the tournament when you're, you know, winning games by 30, 40 points.
0: Well, that's a very good point by you. It has been a season like no other. It'll probably be a tournament like no other. Zach, thank <laughs> you so much for your time. We look forward to your continued coverage in the New York Post. And again, thank you for your generosity today. Yeah, no, no problem. i You be well, okay? And that will wrap things up for this edition of Pirates Talk. Thanks to Zach Brazilla for coming on the show. I really appreciated his insights. They were super, and I hope you did as well. You can read Zach's coverage in the New York Post, and you can follow him on Twitter at nypost underscore brazil, B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. Looking forward and excited about a couple of shows coming up in the near future. I recently recorded an interview with Seton Hall Hall of Famer Adrian Griffin, the current assistant coach of the Toronto Raptors, and I'm scheduled to speak shortly with Arturis Karnishevis, his former teammate at the Hall, and fellow Hall of Fame member, now the executive vice president for basketball operations of the Chicago Bulls. So look for those two shows to drop in the near term. Special thanks as always to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the show and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Matt Lachlan. Be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates.